Good afternoon, everyone. What's up? It's Sarah Rudolph, your host for the best podcast out there for Conference USA content. You are listening to CUSA Insider, the official podcast of Conference USA. And if you are listening right now, then it is almost Fiesta Bowl time. And that is what we will be talking about on the show today. It is the official Fiesta Bowl preview show. We are excited to talk about some flames. We actually have somebody from the Ducks program joining us later to talk about the Ducks too. So you're going to get both sides of the matchup today. And it's back. He's back. The threequel. Jordan Stepp is with us today on the podcast to talk about the flames. Hi, Jordan. How is it going? Hi, Sarah. I'm doing great. Uh, obviously, very excited to be here. This is a, a wonderful situation for, for both the Flames and Conference USA as we get ready to jump into some Verbo Fiesta Bowl conversation. So let's get it. I am also very, very excited. We have been talking about this in the office a lot. It is Conference USA's very first appearance in a New Year's Six Bowl game. The Liberty Flames' first year in Conference USA after being an FBS independent for so many years, and they go undefeated. They win the Conference USA Football Championship, and they are representing CUSA in a New Year's Six Bowl at the Verbo Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, Arizona on January 1st. What else can you say about that? Well, first of all, I mean, it's it's really an unbelievable season just in general. Forget forget the Fiesta Bowl, even if that wasn't there right now. 13 and 0. Talk about head coach Jamie Chadwell, who was co-coach of the year in Conference USA. Um, his first year in, in Lynchburg, leading the team to an undefeated season. I mean, I think we all know how difficult it is to go undefeated. You deal with injuries. You deal with all sorts of things that come up from a variable standpoint throughout the course of a long season, you know, 13, 14 weeks uh, when you get that buy in there and, and to be able to, to be at this point, end of December, looking ahead to January 1st, just an unreal job that they've done there in Lynchburg. And, you know, it, it's been a really fun ride for us and in, in the conference office. I mean, obviously uh, each week got a little more tense as, you know, each matchup came up, but um, it all cum culminated in Lynchburg at this Conference USA Championship game um, with another great performance. Uh, the Flames put up 49 points on a very good double-digit win team in New Mexico State um, to beat them for the second time. And, you know, how did we get here, right? You you, you really, at, at the group of five level, you keep your eye on that college football playoff ranking. Um, obviously, the team that is the champion of a group of five league with the highest ranking, um, you know, gets that New Year's six spot. And, you know, it, it came down to the wire there between um, an undefeated Liberty team. Uh, and really it came down to SMU who won the American uh, Athletic Conference in their final year in that conference before moving to the ACC. Uh, and, you know, obviously SMU, a very good team. I think the hard thing is when, when you get into this comparison game and there was a lot of conversation around it, um, you know, SMU had two losses. Their two losses were two power five teams. They lost on the road and, you know, they ended up losing by three scores, but I actually watched the game uh, against Oklahoma. Uh, it was it was pretty nip and tuck towards the end of that game. So they played very well in Norman. And then I think really what what hurt them the most was a 17 point loss to TCU uh, on the road as well versus Liberty, who had 13 wins against FBS programs, had an amazing set of metrics to go with what they did. The hard thing was no power five teams on the schedule. Now 
a lot of people looked at that power five, uh, the lack of power five teams and just said, oh, they're, you know, they're dodging power five opponents. We all know that's not the case. Right. The simple fact is you've got a team that's transitioning from being independent. You touched on it right there in the open, uh, shifting into a conference. And so in order to do that, obviously we know you set these games up, you know, sometimes 10, 12 years in advance. They had to get out of a lot of contracts and they had to accommodate our schedule model. So that took some uh, opportunities at power five schools, which, you know, if you look back at the past couple of years, Liberty has been very successful against power five uh, yes. opposition um, have picked up some, some key wins, obviously have been in a lot of those games, even when they didn't win. Um, and so Liberty is not scared of anybody. So that narrative was kind of laughable to me on the outside. Most of that was coming from fan bases. Uh, as opposed to those who know the game and know what's going on. But really, you know, to, to get to the point where we were sitting in that in that uh, the viewing room at the office, a lot of us and um, waiting for waiting for that moment, um, you know, and, and to just kind of feel the relief that we knew Liberty did enough. Um, but, you know, it's it's tough. I, th- I think the tough thing, too, and I was going to get to this point, it's not so much, oh, well, team a or team b one of them's bad one of them doesn't deserve it i think it's you can say that both teams had phenomenal seasons and and i'm talking again about liberty and smu and it turns into kind of a a nitpick on who's better who's more deserving all that you can have those conversations without denigrating the other team and i think a lot of times that gets that gets kind of caught in the way um so i mean again a, a fantastic season for smu they, they won the, their league, which, you know, I think we can all say is, you know, not quite what that league was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, but they won their league. They did a very good job. They helped Liberty in the process by beating Tulane on the road. They in the sure championship did. Game, yep. Not by too much. So it ended up working out great. So, um, you know, we're very excited about what, what Liberty has in front of them. Um, again, touched on it, 13 wins over FBS opposition. Um, they're one of only four undefeated teams in the entire country, just just kind of shattering everything right uh, on their way to now the Verbo Fiesta Bowl against a perennial national championship contender in number eight, Oregon. Um, I think it's going to be a very exciting environment in Glendale. I think, you know, you're going to get with the proximity to to Eugene. I, I don't think it's a terrible trip down for those folks. And then, you know, I'm interested to see how many how many make the cross country journey from Lynchburg for this historic event. Um, but it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I think you look from a statistical standpoint, and you've got Liberty. We all know about what Caden Salter can do. Um, he's going up head to head with one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Bo Nix. Yes. You've got you know Liberty's the number one rushing team in the country. You've got you know, Oregon, not far behind in, in a lot of other categories. And then you look at scoring offense, Oregon is slightly above Liberty. Liberty's in the top five there. Uh, total offense, Liberty's in the top three. Oregon, just ahead. So, I mean, you've got two just explosive offensive attacks yeah. that are going to be going against each other. And, you know, it, it's it's shaping up to be a really fun one. One of the things I love about the Fiesta Bowl, too, I mean, there's, there's precedence here where you've got the group of five team coming in, uh, arguably my favorite college football game of all time, the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. Uh, I believe that was the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl with 
Boise State and the Statue of Liberty play. Um, you know, Beautiful. that's a game I, <laughs> I I remember I bought it on iTunes back in the day. I watched that's that funny. game probably 40 <laughs> times. Um, Jordan, you just dated yourself a little. I'm just letting you know. That's okay. <laughs> I, I have no shame in my game. Um, I'm I'm excited though. Like there's that game. And then you look at 2014, you had um, UCF uh, pick up a win in that game um, from the same, you know, from a similar spot. And, you know, they ended up uh, in 2014, knocking off Baylor 52-42 in a really exciting game as well. So why not Liberty? I know a lot of people on the surface look at it and you you say, oh, well, they're playing this, you know, blue blood type program in Oregon, which, you know, they're pretty new to the scene as a blue blood, um, but they have been phenomenal over the course of the last, you know, 20 years um, in what they've been able to do at building their program. And, you know, why not Liberty? Why, why wouldn't they have a shot in this game? I think they're going to have to play about as perfect as they can, um, but you're aiming to do that anyway. Right. Um, you know, right. I think what gives me confidence looking at that is their ability to score points. This isn't a team that's solely built on defense or on one side of the ball. Um, so I think they're going to be able to compete. And I think, you know, the longer you hang in a game, the better opportunity you have to to go and steal it or go and win it uh, just outright. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think those kids are going to be really fired up to play. Um, we got to be around that program uh, in the week leading up to the championship game. It's a, it's a group that really has a goal in, in mind and they're not done. They're, they're going to go out there and give it their best. And that much I know um, coming from that coaching staff, obviously that starts with coach Chadwell. Uh, but, you know, talking to some of those kids throughout that week, they're they're going to be ready. And and that's exciting uh, as, you, as you look ahead to it. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on some really good stuff there. One of the things that I kind of wanted to go back to is you talked about us in the conference office waiting to see where Liberty was going to fall, what was going to happen, us all gathering um, in the what we call the bridge um, with all of our TVs on the wall there waiting for the selection show um, to show the group of five matchup on that New Year's Six Bowl. Um, and this is I mean, this is what CUSA Insider is about, is about being able to give you guys an inside look into what we're doing at Conference USA, what the conference office looks like. We, we had some times. I won't lie to you that we were looking at those CFP rankings. Liberty was undefeated week after week after week, and they weren't in at first. And then they slid into the top 25 at 25 and then slowly, but surely they started inching up. And we just really, I mean, we were not sure what was going to happen on that Sunday. It was, it was a toss up. It was for sure a toss up because history showed that the college football playoff committee didn't really value Liberty's undefeated season at, at up until that point. And so um, we definitely had some days in the office that we were all looking at each other like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? We think Liberty deserves it. Does everybody else think Liberty deserves it? Um, and we are very, very excited to have them representing us on New Year's Day um, on January 1st. And I know you have a huge hand in telling the college football playoff committee, here are the reasons why Liberty should be in. So um, I we we thank you for your work on that part for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you. I, I I thank Liberty for making it easy to be able to share those um, stats and all the metrics we could come up with to to share with our committee representatives as we you know went through that process. Um, you know, and it was fun to to have someone to talk about with those points. Um, you know, in the past years, you know, we we were fortunate enough with 
with a team that was in the rankings each of the last three years and the time that I've been at Conference USA. Um, so we've had the opportunity to, to really talk up our teams, um, whereas I know I have some counterparts at, you know, some of the other leagues that they have their calls with the, the committee and they, they're essentially just saying, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Hope everything's good. <laughs> uh, they don't they don't necessarily have that team to talk about. And so Liberty made that easy uh, on, on myself and on Trey. I know, um, you know, we, we certainly try our best to to put that out there in the best possible way. And then, you know, it falls upon our representatives there to, to really share the information and, you know, they have their discussion in that room with, with the committee and, you know, we're thankful and grateful that, that they saw the value in what Liberty did. I think, you know, to your point, looking at that day when we were sitting in the office, you get that top four beforehand. And I got a little nervous. Yeah, me lie. too. When... I think I teamsed everyone and I was like, okay, now that they've left Florida state out of the top four, I'm a little nervous. I don't know what's yeah, going to happen. That made me feel a little apprehensive, um, to say the least. Um, I still felt a lot of conviction in the thought that they deserve to be there and should be there. But that was like, ooh, I don't know. They're not valuing an undefeated ACC season. Yeah. Uh, now, there are certainly different variables there as well. You've got a quarterback who um, unfortunately got injured and you know, that you hate to say it, but it factors into that conversation and that decision. And I think that's what the committee ended up kind of leaning on the most is the fact that, yes, they went undefeated and they were 13 and 0 and they did what they were supposed to. But they're not bringing that same team to a CFP semifinal. Um, yeah. And you say that about Florida State. SMU had a similar situation as well. They did. They you did. know, with Which... a quarterback that went down. Yeah. And, you know, I think the difference in those two is the SMU freshman quarterback that filled in, they still put up a bunch of points and looked really good sure. offensively versus Florida State was actually down to their third quarterback in the um, the ACC championship game uh, due to a concussion to Tate Rodemaker and uh, who was the backup quarterback who came in to fill in for Jordan Travis. So a lot of variables there. It's not necessarily apples to apples by any means, but it still added a little bit more tension uh, in that room. And, you know, I know you shared that video uh, on, on social media of the reaction. Um, I'm front and center. Yeah, people laptop. loved that, by the way. It went way um, more like viral than I thought it would. People loved it. You you could feel the tension in the room, I think, through that video. But yes. again, that elation of, of knowing that, okay, in my opinion, the committee got it right. Um, you know, I think they were rewarded the season that that I think deserved it the most and again that's not to knock SMU's season which was was phenomenal and you know they've got a lot to be proud of um certainly I think their their head coach Rhett Lashley and that staff have done a fantastic job uh, again I think it can both can be true both both had phenomenal seasons one had to go and and I'm very thankful that that our our team at 13-0 and Liberty is is marching marching to the Verbo Fiesta Bowl so looking yes. forward to it Yep, and we will have several sa uh, staff members on site there in Glendale, so we're excited for that one. Um, and yeah, let's talk. Let's talk a little Fiesta Bowl. Um, obviously, I mentioned it at the top, but um, Rob Mosley, editor in chief at GoDocScott.com, will be joining us a little bit later here. But um, we'll let him take care of really diving deep into the Ducks program. Um, but let's talk about this game a little bit. You mentioned it. The stats are stacked, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it is going to be a fun one. There's, I assume that there will be lots of offense. Um, so what, I guess, 
what are you most looking forward to in this game? What's your storyline? I think, you know, the biggest thing to me really is looking at Caden Salter and what he can do against a elite level defense. Um, you know, is he going to still be able to be as productive as he's been throughout the course of the year? Um, I think the answer is yes, personally. Um, I think schematically what that offense does at Liberty creates a ton of opportunity, both in the run game and in the pass game, for for him to really dictate what happens. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, looking at some of the other bowl games, I think one of the things that that stands out to me with Liberty is their diversity in their offense. They're not just beating you one way. They're doing it in a variety of ways. It's, um, you know, even if you look back to what Coach Chadwell did during his time at Coastal Carolina and some of his previous stops, it's essentially a triple option type of offense, um, not in the traditional sense uh, because they, they work a lot more pass into that. But in theory, you've got a lot of different ways you can go on each individual play. And Caden has been somebody who has really flourished in that offense and has made the right choice so many times, time and time again, that has freed up big gash plays. And so I think that's one of the biggest storylines. The other, on the flip side, you've got a, a guy in Bo Nix who's incredibly experienced, obviously played at Auburn prior to his time in Eugene. Um, but, you know, a guy who was a Heisman finalist, I think he finished third in the Heisman Trophy, uh, in the Heisman Trophy race. He doesn't turn the ball over that much. Liberty thrives on turnovers. How are you going to get that one or two extra possessions that could make a difference in this game? I think defensively, that's what, um, you know, Liberty's going to need to do. I'm hoping we see the Joker mask on ESPN that day. Uh, I hope at least so too. a couple times. Yes. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, it's going to come down to those, those simple factors. I think the other side of it, how is the offensive line for Liberty going to hold up against um, probably the most athletic defensive line and, you know, front seven that they're going to face throughout the course of this year. Now, opt-outs are a part of this. There are probably going to be some opt-outs. I'll defer to Rob on um, some of those. If he if he's able to share that, he may or may not uh, be able to do that. But um, we do know that Bo Nix is going to play. We do know that running back Bucky Irving, who is another fantastic running back uh, in a line of great running backs at Oregon over the past several years, um, he, is, he has opted into play. Um, so you've got some major star power on the other side of the football. It's going to be imperative, I think, for the Liberty offensive line to be physical. And then you look at the other side of the ball. Um, I just talked about Bo Nix and, and Bucky and Oregon's got, you know, a Joe Moore award finalist uh, offensive line. Um, they obviously are really talented, really physical. How do you respond to that physicality in the trenches? Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a secret. I, I, I would guess that that Oregon team is going to be a little bigger. Um, yeah. How do you handle that? How do you utilize your leverage? How do you find a way to to use your physicality as a strength and find ways to, you know, to kind of combat that in both ways? So I think a lot's going to be told in the trenches. Obviously, uh, Liberty is a very, very effective rushing team, the best in the country, um, statistically speaking. How do they keep that going uh, against a, you know, a, a very talented defense uh, in, in Oregon? Um, 
those to me are, are kind of the biggest keys to this one. And then simply limit mistakes. Right. While you're looking to take away a couple possessions to get your offense the ball more, you can't give the ball up. Right. Um, Don't turn that ball be over. Very, very careful with that mm-hmm. football, especially early um, to make sure that they're, you know, when you get to halftime, you're, you're right in the middle of that game. You're winning that game. You're, you know, a score down, what have you, so that you're able to come out in the second half and really continue to compete. Um, you know, they're going to have to play clean football. Uh, I don't think there's any secret there. Uh, but again, I think Liberty's got what it takes to really be in this game. Um, now, I may differ from a lot of the national folks who look at the game and just, you know, do the simple thing and go, oh, a group of five team against a, a power five. How many times have we seen it happen? I just touched on a couple in the Fiesta Bowl right. by itself. Um, you know, it happens. You've got very good football teams that play in a game like this. They get very motivated. Maybe the other team isn't quite as motivated. Maybe they are. I don't know. I, you know, I'm interested to hear what Rob's take is on the mindset of that football team, because I think that team thought they were going to the CFB uh, playoff. Yeah. Um, they had it set sure. in front of them. They, you know, had two cracks at Washington, um, lost by a field goal in both instances, uh, including the Pac-12 championship. Um, you know, so how, how motivated are they to be there? Now, the fact that a Bo Nix and a Bucky Irving say they want to play in this game, tells me that they've got some motivation but exactly um, yeah you never know you don't know how that carries across the whole team um i think dan lanning's a phenomenal football coach i don't have any doubt that he'll have that team ready to go but that is a variable that comes into play sometimes in these types of matchups um which you know you can take advantage of if you're in the position of liberty so um you know i think running game is going to be key caden salter taking care of the football and uh, finding ways to continue to spread the ball around in the run game and the pass game are going to be very key for Liberty as, if they want to be successful and, you know, not letting the moment be too big. It's a big moment. Yes. It's a historic moment for Liberty's program. Um, it's a historic moment for Conference USA. It's a moment where a lot of these student-athletes are going to walk onto that field. That's an NFL field. That's a huge stadium. It's going to be loud. The lights are bright. You're on ESPN in primetime on, or not primetime, but you know, it was primetime no, for me. It's I was New Year's Day. Up. I was always watching, I was always watching bowl games on New Year's Day with my, yeah. with my dad, and, um, you know, with my family. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge moment. Don't let that moment be too big for you. It's still just a football game. Right. And I have a feeling that Liberty is going to be ready for that moment. Um, yeah. Just again, being around that group it feels like they know what they need to do um, to get themselves ready for these games. And, you know, I trust in what, what coach Chadwell has been able to preach throughout the course of the year. And, you know, it's a very exciting moment for, for these student athletes, for these coaches, uh, for the fans of Liberty um, and, you know, for us as well. So I'm, I'm, like I said, I, I hope you can take the excitement out of, out of how I'm talking here. Yes, Um, I'm feeling it. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Get me on the plane. Let's do it. Yes, we are very excited. And one thing uh, I just want to touch on really quickly before we get over to Rob um, is Coach Chadwell touched on this, but he's just got some guys on his team who make plays. The play breaks down. Maybe it looks like there's nothing that they can do. Hayden Salter's in the backfield. He finds a hole. He runs it 50 yards down the field. Uh, And then you've got Quentin Cooley who can do the same thing. Just make holes happen. Just find this little itty-bitty hole and rush right through it. And then C.J. Daniels, man. I mean, that guy has some hands. He catches some great 
balls that may look like they're going nowhere and somehow he comes up with it. And so I think, you know, Coach Chadwell, like I said, has touched on it. He's got playmakers on his team. He has guys who show up in big moments. Um, they have great offensive line play. Hayden Salter um, is well protected in that backfield. And so I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, like you were talking about, I love the quarterback play that we are going to see in this game. I hope Caden. It's going to be great. great. Yeah. I hope Caden has a really great game because he is, you know, he doesn't get as much publicity maybe as, you know, some of these power five guys. Um, but I mean, he is really, really good. He is so, so good. And I'm so excited for him to be able to show out on a national stage as well. Yeah, and it's it's a massive platform for for a lot of these kids to to really showcase what they can do for an audience. You know, a general college football audience is going to be tuning into that game um, as opposed to just the fan bases about these teams. And it's an opportunity for them to show out and have, you know, everyone see what we've seen all year. Um, and I think that's very exciting. And, you know, from a mentality standpoint, I, I again, I, I feel like they're going to be ready for that. All right, guys, that's all we've got um, on our preview just for the Flames. But like I said, Rob Mosley will be joining us in just a moment to talk about the Ducks versus the Flames in the Verbo Fiesta Bowl on January 1st. So stay right here and we will be right back. All right, guys, joining us now, we have Rob Mosley, editor-in-chief for Oregon Athletics. He is a Eugene, Oregon guy, folks. He's been with the Oregon program for 10 years he worked at a newspaper there in Eugene um, for a few years before that, and he is a graduate of Oregon. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I um, am so excited to get to talk about this um, Oregon Ducks program, something that, you know, we've seen on national television a few times in our games or in games this year, um, but that Jordan and I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of um, of these players. So we're excited to have you here to discuss that. So obviously you guys have been prepping for um, the upcoming Fiesta Bowl, and I just want to get your insight into um, this program. So what can you tell us about the Ducks and, you know, their preparation for this Fiesta Bowl? Well, I think there's a, there's a huge X factor that developed for Oregon uh, this postseason, and that's Bonix's decision to participate in this game. Um, I think, you know, a lot of fans maybe expected him him to, to immediately turn his attention to the draft, as, as some other players have done. Um, but almost immediately after the matchup was announced, uh, Bo told the team he was going to participate. He was in the – he participated in the first several practices. The practices resumed uh, this past Friday, um, and, you know, he was at the helm. So, I, you know, I think that's just a huge thing. It's a huge statement to the team. A huge statement to Oregon's fan base about what this game means to him and what what it should mean to them. Um, obviously, in this day and age, you know, for, for a, a lot of programs nationally, and I think Oregon's amongst the handful in that group. Um, w when the playoff is out there for you, and you don't, and you fall short of that, um, there's some disappointment, obviously. Um, but I think Bo's decision to participate is a good reminder that the New Year's Six Bowls still resonate a lot uh, amongst you know people who know college football and uh this this means a lot to him to play in a bowl of this caliber and uh and so you know when you so then you see a guy like Bucky Irving running the running back who is, has declared for the draft but but he's participating Brandon Dorless big time D lineman you know he's he's got a bright future ahead of him he's going to get drafted he's participating so again not everybody is there are some opt outs from this Oregon team but 
Um, you know, I, I think that just completely changed the flavor of this month and the buildup for this game from Oregon's perspective when, when Bo Nix made that decision. Yeah, we uh, were talking about it earlier. We're very excited for the quarterback play in this game. You mentioned Bo Nix, obviously Caden Salter on the Liberty side, um, also a great playmaker. Um, so tell me a little bit more about Bo Nix. He seems like such a nice guy. I kind of want to know about, about Bo. Tell me about Bo, um, his on and off the field prowess. Yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to get to go to Las Vegas with him uh, earlier this month to accept the Campbell Trophy as the, the top scholar athlete in, in college football. Uh, and, you know, get to spend more time around him than I, than I had, uh, previously. I mean, he's obviously a highly productive player. Um, but he, he is a great guy too. And, you know, the, the memes about his age are a little out of control. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's not, he's not any older than, you know, most of the other Heisman finalists, for instance, and, and there's certainly older players in college football, but I think part of that owes to the bearing that he carries himself with and just the maturity that he shows the way he handles himself off the field. Um, you know, he all, he is already married. His wife is, he's delightful. Um, and she was along on that trip too. So, um, you know, he, he really is, you know, working at college athletics is so great because, you know, the, the, the maturity range in that age group is so vast. Um, you know, some, yes, it is. you know, so many kids show up as, you know, in, in, in football, at least show up as boys and leave as men. Um, you know, but th- some show up as boys and leave as boys and some show up as men and leave as men. And, you know, I, th- I think uh, Bo was one of those guys who was kind of a grown up when he when he first got to Auburn. And that's only, uh, you know, he's only grown from there. And, and, and again, just the, the bearing that he carries himself with and, and how that translates into the leadership role he plays on this team. I mean, everybody looks to him in terms of his work ethic, his demeanor, how he handles himself under pressure, all of that. Um, and and and. I just think he's developed a ton as a player too, you know? I mean, he had that reputation when he got here of, Oh, there's good bow and there's bad bow. And in the two years at Oregon, I think thanks, you know, in no small part to the coaching of Kenny Dillingham last season. And then Will Stein this season, the two offensive coordinators he's played for here, they've helped, but I, you know, he's grown as a player too. And we just at Oregon, we just haven't seen bad bow really, you know, I mean, he's had a couple throws he wants to take back, but any quarterback could, could say that. Um, you know, he, he, he's really been so productive. You see, I mean, you see his, he's, he, he potentially could finish, you know, with the highest completion percentage in college football history, uh, depending on how things go in the bowl game. Um, and that, I think that just, that just reflects his decision-making the system. He, you know, his comfort, his level of comfort in this system, but also his decision-making in it. I mean, it's just, he's so efficient. It's, it's really, really impressive. Now, one of the, one of the things that Sarah and I talked about when, when touching on Liberty, um, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, as they thrive on creating turnovers. Oregon, on the flip side, one of the best in the country at not turning the ball over. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, goes back to what you were just talking about with Bo specifically in his decision-making and, you know, ability not to make a lot of mistakes. But um, what can you say about the ability for the Ducks to to take care of the football and make sure they're not giving extra possessions away? Yeah, look, I- you know, if if you'll allow me to overgeneralize a little bit, there, there's just two factors that are beyond, you know, anything else. You know, one is uh, Bo's efficiency, you know, to your point. I mean, he just has avoided making mistakes. I mean, it, you know, at least one of his interceptions even this year was a ball that, you know, hit a guy in the hands and, you know, deflected and, and got picked off. So, it's you know, even the, interse- the, 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 the small total of interceptions he does have, you know, 
doesn't really reflect how good he's been about taking care of the ball. Um, the other thing is Carlos Lachlan, the running backs coach, has been phenomenal at coaching ball security with his guys. Um, you know, every running backs coach I've ever covered has, has preached ball security, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. But uh, I, I think the results reflect, you know, that his message has gotten through to his guys. I mean, they they really take care of the ball. I mean, it was it was halfway through the season before Oregon lost a fumble, I think, if I'm remembering right off the top of my head. So, um, you know, just those two factors, you know, Carlos Lachlan's ability with his running backs to really preach ball security and then Bo Nix's ability to make good decisions and keep the ball out of trouble uh, really reflect that that low turnover total. But obviously, I mean, as we all know, that that can be the biggest X factor in a matchup, particularly a matchup, you know, like the, the, this one we're looking ahead to um, in this bowl game. And, you know, obviously the odds – the odds are what they are. You know, the point spread is what it is. And that that margin can shrink real, real quick if you can create a couple of turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. If Oregon makes a couple mistakes or if Liberty really um, just just makes a couple plays, which can happen. So um, certainly, you know, I think that's that's a factor we're all going to be looking for once the game kicks off. You mentioned it a little bit before. Could you tell me, I guess, a little bit about what the um, emotional um... – I guess the emotional ride it was for Oregon at the back half of the season, obviously um, losing to Washington in the PAC 12 championship, not getting that um, national championship um, hopes that they are the top four hopes that they had had all season. Um, but like you said, making it to a new year six uh, fiesta bowl. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, was there a little bit um, of uh, I guess down emotions for a hot second in the locker room um, and then, you know, just kind of turning the page towards um, this fiesta bowl. Yeah. Well, I think you have to start with the fact that it was Washington kind of Oregon's longest standing rival. Um you know, Oregon State, there's sort of a fraternity there. It's your in-state team. And, yeah, you want to beat them. But also, um, there, there's not that hatred that there is between Oregon and, and Washington. And uh, so the fact that, you know, Oregon's now 0-3 against Washington the last couple, two years, you know, all by three points. So, you know, it's close, but, there, you know, there's, there's no real consolation in that. Um, and so to lose to them twice this season, the third time in two years, to, to realize that, that that Pac-12 title game, I mean, it, it probably had as much on the line as any non-national championship game mm-hmm. that the Ducks have played in, at least that I've been around. Because if you win that game, you win the league, you beat your rival, you probably go to the playoff. Although once the playoff rankings came out, who knows? But <laughs> I think it's fair to say Bo Nix probably wins the Heisman, just the way things were trending going into that game. I think so right. all of that. All of that was lost. And uh, and so, yeah, it was tremendously deflating. And so, again, the decision by, by Bo Nix less than 48 hours later to, to announce that he was going to play in this bowl game completely flipped the, the, the momentum in terms of the emotions around the team. Um, you know, it's, it's a counterfactual, so I can't tell you what the enthusiasm would have been like in practice last week had Bo not been around, but I think, you know, we can all imagine logic dictates it probably would have felt a lot different. So uh, again, that's why I just come back to in, in terms of the factors in this game, that one just looms so large for so many different reasons. Now going off of that, um, what, what has your take been on kind of the fan base reaction to the news that Bo 
and Bucky and, and Brandon Dorless and a lot of these key players are placing a premium on this game and, you know, showing, I think that it matters obviously to them, but has that kind of resonated within the fan base? Do you, do you feel like there's going to be, you know, a, a large migration down to, down to, to, uh, to Phoenix for this game from the fan base? Well, I think there's, there's, there's two different answers to that. And that one that, yeah, certainly the, the excitement level, the enthusiasm for the, for the game, the desire to watch it has spiked relative to what it might've been otherwise. Is that going to translate into a massive migration of fans to Arizona? I'm not so sure. You know, this, this is a game Oregon played in only a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, though a lot of us know different, I think to some fans that, you know, it's kind of a consolation prize when you fell short of the playoff. Sure. Um, and so that can be hard to swallow. And so, um, you know, we played at Arizona state, um, you know, not, not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. And there was a really, really impressive contingent of Oregon fans down there at that game. And some of them had traveled, but I think a lot of them lived down there too. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's cautious optimism that there's going to be um, a good contingent of Oregon fans at this game. Um, but again, with some of the factors that we talked about, some of the disappointment coming off that, that PAC 12 championship game loss, I think that's going to linger as well, too. There, and there's sure. no doubt that's going to have an effect on some decision-making. Now, I, I do want to talk about the trenches. I think that's something for Liberty that's going to be a key. I think they're obviously not, through their 13 games this this far, they've not seen an offensive line collectively as talented, as physical as Oregon. And I think the same is true on the defensive line, especially when you look at, you know, having to play a guy like Brandon Dorless, who, like you said, NFL caliber on the defensive line, um, you've obviously got a ton of talent throughout the course of that whole defense. But specifically, when you look at Liberty might be a little undersized there on both sides of the ball. What, what can you say about how well the offensive line is played? And then, you know, I'm curious what your thought on the, on the defensive side, um, maybe not necessarily just the line, but kind of that front seven. Yeah. Well, I mean, just a little bit of a history lesson for folks, you know, it, it, things started to change in terms of the reputation of this program, how it recruited, what it wanted to be known for when Willie Taggart uh, took over as head coach in 2017. And, you know, that wasn't the best year in Oregon football history and he was only here in one year and, and that left some hard feelings, but, you know, he was really determined to make this program known more for toughness than it had been. You know, I think mm-hmm. Oregon got miscast a little bit over the years as only finesse. Um, right. There were some really good linemen on both sides of the ball that came out of this program, um, you know, during years Oregon was playing for national championships. And you don't do that if if, if you're soft up front. Sure. Um, but again, you know, overgeneralizations happen. I've been guilty of them on this very, in this very conversation. So, um, but, but Willie Taggart really wanted to turn that around. And then Mario Cristobal, you know, he, he hired Mario Cristobal to that staff and then he took over as head coach. And you saw in recruiting how much of a priority that became, you know, Utah was kind of the program out West known Mm -hmm. for physicality. And I think now if you talk to anybody, they'd say Oregon has joined Utah uh, in terms of quality play at the line of scrimmage here out West and, and really setting a tone that way. And so obviously Mario Cristobal, with his background as an offensive lineman, that was really a priority for him. And so you're seeing the lingering effects of that, 
now, even though now that he's, he's in Miami um, and, uh, and the quality of offensive line play has been phenomenal. And, um, you know, this year's group was nominated for the Joe Moore award as the best group in the country. I think they're finalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's been announced yet, but Jackson Powers so. Johnson. Okay. Jackson Powers Johnson won the Remington award and was a unanimous all American in the center. Now he will, he, it doesn't look like he's playing in this game. So that's a big factor about, uh, for this matchup, but, um, you know, you don't get to this place without depth too. And I, th- I think the ducks are cautiously optimistic. They can plug another body in there. Obviously centers a vital, vital position. And so that remains to be seen, but, you know, feel like, um, depth's uh, going to be an asset there. So, um, you know, they brought in a, a transfer this year, a guy on the, from the portal of Johnny Cornelius, who's been great at right tackle. Josh Connerly has held up all year at left tackle. The interior obviously built around Jackson powers, Johnson, really, really strong. So, um, yeah, that, that offensive line has just been phenomenal and, and, and keeping Bo Nix healthy and, and um, not letting him get hit too much. That's been, that's been great. And then on the other side of the ball, obviously defensive line recruiting was a priority previously, but when Dan Lanning comes in, it obviously goes just to a different level. And um, so you see some guys coming through the portal and Casey Rogers, Taki Taimani, but also some guys who've been here, Popo Amavai, uh, Brandon Dorless, guys like that. Um, and then the, 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 at the edge positions, the recruiting the last couple of years has been phenomenal. Jordan Birch, a guy who came in through the, mm-hmm. the portal. Uh, Mateo Uyunglele, DJ's little brother on the edge. You know, a couple other young guys out there on the edge as well. Um, it, it has really changed the, the, the tone for the Ducks up front. In, in year one under Dan Lanning, getting pressure on the quarterback was an issue. In year two, uh, it was not. Not to say it was perfect, not to say they got home every time, but the, the change there was really stark. So, uh, yeah, this both sides of the ball play at the line of scrimmage has really been a forte for this Oregon team. So, Rob, you mentioned, obviously, Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, guys that um, a lot of, I think, fans across the country um, who haven't watched a lot of Oregon games, they know those names just because, like you said, those are NFL-caliber players. Can you give our fans listening some insight into maybe some other guys who they may not have heard as much about, but that can make some big plays for the Ducks that they need to be looking out for in this Fiesta Bowl game? Yeah, well, unfortunately for everyone, maybe not unfortunately for Liberty Secondary, but unfortunately for everyone, it looks like Troy Franklin isn't going <laughs> to participate in this game. He, uh, he, uh, a, lot, a lot of Oregon fans thought he should have been a finalist for the, for the Bletnikoff as the top receiver in the country. 81 catches, 1,300 yards. Um, you know, I think he's leaving Oregon as probably the best receiver to ever play here. Um, you know, and, and Bobby Moore, who became a Madra Shad, uh, you know, he played a lot of running back when he was here, but, you know, he might've been a guy who, who held that mantle, but, but I think Troy Franklin kind of universally considered now the best receiver to ever play here. So uh, we'll miss him, but there's a, obviously, you know, when you're as productive as this offense has been, there's a ton of weapons out there. And, uh, you know, I started running back. Jordan James is, is the backup to, to Bucky Irving. He was kind of the short yardage specialist last year, scored a ton of touchdowns, was really eager to show he's more than that. And, uh, and has done so this year, you know, 700 something rushing yards or close to it. Um, 11 touchdowns again, but you know, his seven yards to carry. I mean, he's obviously showing he's much more than a, than a, uh, a short yardage guy you know, caught a, had a big pass reception late in the, in the Pac-12 championship game when Oregon was trying to come back. So, um, you know, a guy who's been really, really productive that way. And um, at the receiver positions, Tez Johnson, who was kind of uh, the Knicks family's kind of adopted, adopted son. 
um, you know, as a thousand yard receiver, a second thousand yard receiver on this team, just a really explosive guy, kind of your prototypical slot guy, you know, really shifty, kind of a smaller guy, uh, you know, but can, you know, doesn't need a lot of space over the middle to, to find a little hole. And the, obviously the connection between he and Bo is, um, yeah, it's just, it's on a different level. I mean, they, they kind of know where each other is at all times. Um, so, so, you know, he's a guy to watch for. Uh, and Treshawn Holden had a really big play at the end of the Pac-12 championship game. He kind of had a quiet year, but uh, he's a receiver who, with Troy Franklin out, I think Oregon fans will be looking for to really have a productive bowl game and kind of set the tone for maybe being a, a primary target next season. So, you know, he's a guy to watch, too. And then the tight end position has been really, really productive. Terrence Ferguson's a future pro. I mean, he had an absolutely insane touchdown catch in that championship game. Um, really, really athletic, uh, tight end and Patrick Herbert, who's Justin's younger brother. Um, it, it, one of the best stories of this Oregon season, because he's had a ton of injuries, obviously he's a Herbert. So he's from Eugene, uh, you know, big brother was the quarterback. Uh, and so everybody was rooting for him and he was finally healthy enough and productive enough. He had a really, really strong year. So, uh, it, it, it was really good to see him, him break out and, and make some plays for this team too. So. And, and there's other names too, but just, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of options on this team. Not having Troy Franklin available is, is a big deal because he was kind of the guy who would take the top off the defense. So it'll be interesting to see who that option is uh, for this Oregon offense uh, come New Year's Day. Well, Rob, we really appreciate um, the insight. Jordan, you have any other questions for him before we let him go? I do not. I just want to thank you again for your time and, and, and insight. We, we certainly really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's good talking to you guys. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rob. Um, like I said, um, we will be excited, ready. We Some of us will be there on January 1st at the Verbo Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, you can catch that game, the Oregon Ducks versus the Flames on ESPN at 1 p.m. Eastern. It's 12 p.m. Central. It's 11 a.m. local time there in Arizona. Um, is it 10 a.m. Pacific time? I don't even know. All right. 10 a.m. Yes. Pacific time. There we go. Um, and you can catch that Give game. Hawaii like time. We said. And <laughs> yes, I do not know Hawaii time. Don't Eight, do that to me, Jordan. Seven. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. <laughs> and uh, yes, you can catch that game on New Year's Day on ESPN. If you can't be there, be on your couch. You're off of work. It's a national holiday. So we will catch you then. Thank you again, Rob. Um, and we will see you next time. All right, guys, I think we have said it enough. Go watch the Fiesta Bowl. You know where to watch. You know when to watch. Set those alarms to make sure you're up from whatever New Year's Eve shenanigans you choose to partake in. Go subscribe to the podcast. Go follow us on social media. Go leave us a review and go Flames. Thank you so much for listening to CUSA Insider, the official podcast of Conference USA. I'm Sarah Rudolph, signing off.